welcome to the Freed Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Heil, founding member of the Freed Fellowship and Freed Media. This is a podcast dedicated to bridging the gap between entrepreneur and entrepreneur. In this episode, you'll hear one Freed story from someone who made the jump from the corporate world to the vast unknown of entrepreneurship. We at Freed Media know that the road to entrepreneurship can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. We hope that in sharing Freed stories, that you will gain some tangible tips on how to get freed yourself. It's our mission to provide support and community for those working their five to nine side hustles and jotting down their someday business plan. We're navigating the journey ourselves, and we'd love to take you along with us. Ready to get freed? Uh, Maggie, uh, I want to turn it over to you if um, there's additional questions uh, coming from the community or that we've, we've, we've been able to collect. A- any additional questions that we would have for Kayla? Yeah, so I have a couple here, generally from the community. I know that you mentioned that you started your business kind of within the pandemic. A lot of the applications and a lot of the members of our community have either started prior to COVID or are starting within COVID. And how did you kind of navigate that? How do you feel now that kind of the world is shifting to a new version of normal? How do you feel like COVID is kind of implicate like affecting your business? And how do you feel like you're going to move forward with it? Yeah, I mean, uh, starting mid-pandemic kind of forced us to be full-time founders right from the jump, um, which not a lot of folks have the opportunity to do when they're starting to work on something, even something that they really, really love. So that was a big inflection point for us. I mean, it was our creation, it was our origin, you know, but we really got to jump 100% into it because we didn't have other commitments because the whole world was at a standstill, you know, and we were navigating that space alongside everyone else. But with that also came the idea that if it failed, it was okay because lots of other things were failing too, you know, so we would just kind of be on the same level playing field as a lot of other folks. And so we uh, like an internal mantra we've had is when life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas, because that's kind of just what we did, you know? Um, But now as we are coming out of COVID, a big shift is really, you know, some of the traditional practices of CPG, like sampling in store, that's not around anymore. And it probably won't be around anytime soon. But stores and people like re-entering society in mass is. So those are starting to be issues that we're having to really think critically and creatively about on um, like how to adapt to the new way that the world works. So, I mean, I don't have the answers for all of those things just yet. We're still kind of navigating through them, but just trying to live in a, as creative a space as possible. No, I think that's, I think that's a very fair answer. I think no one, none of us really have any of the answers on how to navigate as the world continues to evolve and change and throw us new ways of life as we go along. So I think that's a perfect answer. We have some more questions. So you had mentioned that you operate in your superpower and your co and you and your co-founder both like try and stay within your superpowers. How did you kind of discover your superpower? Was it in your previous roles? Was it when you stepped into like a founder role? How do you feel like you really knew when you were in your kind of genius zone and like operating in your superpower? You know, I, I was speaking with someone about this the other day. 
growing up, like I was the child that was like in Peach Blossom, like in the school plays, the spelling bee, you know, any chance that I had to speak publicly, I was there. And now that, you know, we have these like pitch competitions and it's an opportunity to craft a story and tell people about what we're building. And we've been very successful at doing that. Um, I realized that, you know, that has been just a maturation of what I inherently enjoy doing. And I think that that has been a big part in like finding your superpower is like, what do you really enjoy doing? And, you know, working on it to be as efficient as possible. Um, And so like, yeah, like doing these pitch competitions, um, investor relations, conversations with folks, sales, like sales, I think people underestimate a huge part of sales is like the relationship that you have with people. And so I think that it's just been a long time coming, I guess, and finding my superpower as a business owner, just rooted in, in things that I always have always liked doing. Yeah. Did you do kind of presentations and like client facing things when you were in your previous roles or were you more behind the scenes in your roles? Um, I did a lot of like in the fields work. So like I would go out to all of these like small businesses, um, big businesses and speak with like the store managers, the store owners, like all the decision makers and ask them like, what's doing good? What's, what isn't doing that well? Um, like what, what's your bottom line look like? You know, how can, what kind of demographic are you in? Uh, and so a lot of like client facing situations, I think that have helped me get more comfortable with asking those kinds of things and having those conversations at a different scale now. Yeah, you were primed and ready. You were primed and ready for a pitch deck, a pitch deck competitions and all these things. You've been practicing your whole life. <laughs> yeah, my brothers will say I just don't know how to shut up. But <laughs> all right, my dad says that I'm the only person in the world who talks more than he does, and I would tell you that he's the only person who talks more than I do. So it all runs it. It all runs in the family somewhere. Um, And my last question that I pulled from the community is a lot of the members of our community are in that kind of developmental stage in that, like, I have a really great idea that I'm really passionate about and I have the skills to back it up. What's the first step that you think like makes the biggest difference in just taking that, that idea that you're so passionate that you love so much and bringing it into a reality? What do you think the, the, where to start is? I mean, specifically with like consumer packaged goods, I would say like you need to find the team that can make that a reality Um, because there's a lot of other aspects that go into creating something than you probably think that there are. And time is money and you don't want to spend all your time just trying to figure out just how to bring it to market. You know, there are people that that's their zone of genius, that that's all they do for all day, every day. And so you're better off spending your time trying to find the right people to help you than to try and figure it all out yourself um, would be like my very first piece of advice. Our accelerator program was great in matching us with folks that could give me the answer in two minutes, what would take me two months to figure out. (laughs) Yeah. And he's going to have something to say about that. I know he is. No, no, no. I, I think that's great. And you know, it's funny. I, I don't think enough uh, people ask this question. I'm saying, how do I do this versus who needs to do this? You mean? And like a lot of people ask how and entrepreneurs want to say, oh, how? And then they'll Google it. They'll figure it out because that's what an entrepreneur does. They figure things out. 
And I think you, you move from being an entrepreneur to a business owner and to a business scaler when you move from the uh, how to the who, you know what I mean? And you figure out like, okay, who should I be talking to? You know what I mean? Like you don't need, like, like we were talking about earlier, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, you have to say like, hey, this is what I want the car to look like. Let me go buy a wheel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like don't reinvent the wheel, you know, design the car and go buy the wheel. You know, so there's so many things that you can lean on and it doesn't always cost money. Sometimes to your point, mm-hmm. it's networking or talking to someone, reaching out to, you know, on Twitter or on LinkedIn or what have you and and, and getting that person and, and filling that gap. So uh, totally understand, you know, your, your point and, and totally concur. <laughs> so if you're game, one thing that we do often, oh, I see, I, I see the nervousness. So if you're game, one, one thing that we do uh, uh, in the Freed Fellowship, we host a, um, a weekly office hours where uh, fellows can come with, if they have a, a business issue, they raise it. And then we essentially do a business breakdown. I've, I've heard it referred to as a hot seat. I think hot seat is, sounds a little scary. Who wants a hot seat? Um, <laughs> it's very, it's lukewarm at worst. So uh, uh, we call it a business breakdown. And uh, okay. if you're game for it, you know, in, in the last, you know, 12 minutes we have, maybe we do a quick business breakdown. Are you, are you game? Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, great. So it goes like this. Um, you know, you're running a business. Every day, I'm sure there's dozens of things being thrown at, at you. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to talk about your business and understand what is the biggest challenge that you're currently facing. So something is probably happening within the business now that you're like, oh, geez, like I'm having trouble getting past it. Um, wh- what is, you know, that you, you're open and, and, and comfortable sharing the challenge that you have. And then we'll spend a little bit of time back and forth trying to see if we can work, work it. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me think. I'm trying to think of a situation that would be best applicable right now we're fundraising. So that's been a a big, uh, part of like my day to day is just, yeah. Figuring out who to speak to and like figuring out, you know, like the structure of your business because VC money is a lot different than angel money and things like that. So I don't know if that's a good topic to go into. Okay. Then we'll go with that one. Okay. So, so the way we break it down is we, we, we try to figure out three things, right? We say first, Okay, what is the pain point? You know what I mean, and really get in. What What's great about this business breakdown is that it, it's applicable to e- if you're starting with a new idea or you have an existing business. It kind of breaks down. So it's like one is like, okay, what what is the pain point? What's causing the pain for the customer? So right now you're the customer. You know, you, you have a pain point. What is the result you want? And then what is the machine or the mechanism that you have to create in order to deliver? You know that that result that you want. So so the pain point. You know, let's get to the heart of the pain point. You know, you mentioned that you're in the process of fundraising, but that's not really the pain point. Yeah, the pain point is is some kind of capital. So again, coming from the you know understanding of the food and beverage space, it's unlike a lot of different models. Like if if I do a let's say a a service product or something like that. I don't necessarily have to deploy inventory or capital to have inventory. It's just mm-hmm. like, um, or if you're some kind of business where you take a deposit first and then you deliver the product 30 days later, then I've got the capital, you know, a customer pays me in advance and then I get to use that money to kind of make the service and then deliver the service. But with food and beverage, a lot of times it, it's backwards where you've got to expend all the money <laughs> first and then hope that you sell through it in the time that it's it's good. So with, with bottled liquids, they tend to have what, what they call a shelf life for, for uh, um, listeners who aren't familiar with it. So it can sit on the shelf for 12 months, 18 months, whatever. So it, it, you're not rushed to kind of get rid of it. Imagine if you're doing something that's perishable, that's super scary, like bread or something like, uh, I would hate to have to deal with that. 
But still, uh, Agua Bonita has to put this money out, produce all these cans, store them somewhere. And then when people want them either online or potentially retail, they got to ship it out. So because of that, uh, these businesses, as they grow, they consume more cash. Actually, the more successful you are, the more cash you're going to have to consume. And then you get it back on the other end. So because of that, again, correct me any place where I'm wrong, the, the pain point is you're starting to see some level of growth in the business and you're looking to expand and you're like, okay, we can bootstrap the, the test run and all this element, but to get the, the cost down per unit and to get the margins we want, we have to start doing larger runs. For larger runs, a run can run anywhere from twenty-five to $50,000 a run, You know, even more depending on how big a run you do. So you got to put that out before you even make sale one. So because of that, you and your co-founder, you know, logically are saying, hey, somehow we have to have a reliable source of capital. Am I correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, so the pain point really is, okay, how, how do we fund the expansion of this business? So that's the pain point. Um, let's think about what the outcome you want. If you could wave a, a magic wand or you could just like, you know, you know, press a button and this result comes out, what would be the perfect result? Um, the perfect results. It would be that we have all this money to make a ton of product. Mm -hmm. So that way, you know, we are always in stock and then we can sell a ton of product. Okay. Always in stock, bunch of money. Now with a bunch of money, I'm sure there's some strings attached there. Like you, you would love to have a bunch of money, but are there also things that you want? Like, cause money's going to come with some strings attached. So like mm -hmm. if, if we can wave a magic wand and all of that was debt financing, would that solve your problem? Or would you say, Hey, actually we wouldn't want to have to be on the hook. Oh, from a debt standpoint, we would want, you know what I mean? But then if you wave the wand and it's all equity, that means you give up a, a meaningful portion of your business. Like even with that bunch of money, what is a perfect kind of scenario with, with it for you and in your team with, with that? Yeah. I mean, I guess the perfect scenario for us is like our convertible note, like short-term debt, essentially that can convert into equity at a financing event. A mix of a mix of both, essentially. Okay. And are you looking for anything even with that? Now, you know, for people that may not be familiar with with raising capital, if you haven't gone the VC route, um, how important is it that you pick your partners who you're working with? Do you, is that a crucial component of who's funding the enterprise? At this stage, yes. Mm -hmm. At this stage, not all money is good money. We want strategic uh, investors, and so it's a mix between like angel investors or like the right VC. Okay. So again, it, it, so in that that solution um, or that perfect scenario, it doesn't necessarily have to come from one source. You, if you had a group of very um, supportive angels, that mm -hmm. also could be a, a good solution for you. Yeah, that would be the most ideal solution, most probably. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Okay. So I think that, that that's a great, that's a great layout um, of, of what the, both the pain point is and what the outcome is. So let's start thinking a little bit about the mechanism. Um, have you and your co-founder raised uh, capital in the past? I have not. Um, she has. Okay. And is she tapping into those past resources for this or was it in a different space? So it, it's not really that applicable. It was mostly in a different space. So not entirely applicable. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So a couple of things. So in building the machine, do you guys have a, a, a set process by which you're going after potential investors? Besides like really looking into what their thesis is um, and like, I guess every, every time that we get a no from one investor, we always ask for another introduction somewhere else so that the chain doesn't stop there. Yeah. 
to make sure that we're always, you know, going. And um, we we actually, so even though we started the business a year ago, I started approaching VCs and, and whatnot a year ago when we were just a concept. Yeah. So that way I could pick up now <laughs> with the progress to show what we've done in a year. And then even if it still wasn't no, to like have some space in their mind. Okay. So um, have you created a list of your dream investors? Like saying like, okay, now, it, it, you know, based on what I've seen them do in the past, what they've invested in the, in the, in the past, or what I've seen, you know, they can bring to the table. Here's my list of a hundred ideal investors to invest in my business. And essentially like starting with that first and saying, Hey, I want to pick my investors. And then going through that, do you, are you guys working from a dream investor list? Yeah. Not as robust as that, but yeah, we, that's essentially what I did. I made a target list of folks that had really great successes in the past or could be really strategic value adds or folks that I thought like would really align well with our ethos even outside of CPG just on like our eco-friendly front and then that is what I started operating off of. Okay. No, no, that's great. So, I think in building the machine, so I have multiple questions I'm just trying to turn them into one. Um <laughs> I would say, well, instead of a question I'll say a statement. Um, okay. My read on it in building the machine is that I think you guys have probably 60 or 70% of the machine built, but that last like, you know, 30 to 40%, I think is what puts you over the top. So what, what I would say is that I think you, you roughly have a sense of what you want to raise, kind of the people you want to, and you're starting to go through a process, you've already done it. But I, I would say that it may be worth rebooting that process and literally saying like, okay, like let, let's look at what we've done already and then let's really figure out who our dream 100 uh, uh, investors are. And 100 is a good number because I think if you have your top 100, that is a good statistical kind of number to say, hey, you're going to get the pings you're going to want from it, yeah. right? Number one. Then I think making sure that not only do you have the list of 100 from yourself, other people are helping you fill that list. For example, and I, we won't do it live now, but um, I am more than happy to give you probably, you know, seven to 10 uh, potential targets that I think might be ideal for your business where it's at, you know? So I think, you know, not just creating the list from who you know, and I, I heard a, um, an element of that where you say, hey, when we get a no, we get a referral. But if that referral comes from somebody who's not in your dream 100, it actually moves you off course versus mm -hmm. tighter. You mean, so if you're asking people that are like right in your wheelhouse, like this is the person I want, any referral that they get, it, it may be a little bit off, but it's going to be drastically off versus, it, you know, sometimes, you know, when, when you're trying to raise money, you'll kind of stretch a little bit. And then the stretch takes you far off course. It's not too far from what you were saying before about you start listening to advice and then the business changes and then the product changes. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, with, with fundraising. I, I say, you, you know, you really, fundraising is about preaching to the choir. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's not about converting people because it's super hard to convert investors. The only thing that converts a no to a yes is by other people's yeses. So you, you will <laughs> see that VCs and angels are, they tend to be flock animals and they like to see where, where the whole, the starlings, all the starlings are flying in one direction and they tend to fly in that direction. So to me, really focusing on your dream 100, you know, and getting that one or two people to kind of crack in that dream 100, it unlocks the rest of it. It, it literally mm -hmm. will unlock the entire thing versus if you don't have a targeted dream 100 that you're like going after and you're like, these are the people that know this kind of space that have done this, that understand this element, you're not going to get the same response. So, I mean, I, th I think there are certain 
VCs, especially emerging VCs that understand either your space or your founding story, multiple, like, for example, you know, um, again, I'll throw some out here. Like there's a VC uh, firm, uh, Unshackled Ventures, who they focus on immigrant founders. That that is their focus because they they have found, um, you know, in looking at uh, different startups, immigrant founders tend to have uh, certain characteristics that tend to lead to success of their portfolio companies, you know. And again, I I can go uh, rattle off a list of probably half a dozen to a dozen different uh, firms that I think would understand the space, understand your messaging, understand the communities that you're trying to serve and really, you know, be able to, to speak to it. So happy to, to provide that offline. But I, I think your pain point of fundraising is, you know, is common. I mean, especially within the CPG space, I, I do think your your result, making sure that you want somebody who is aligned with your vision is super important because on its face, everybody kind of says, hey, let me just get a ton of money, but it has to be from the right people, you know? Yeah. And it has to be, you know, they have to have a, the same vision. And I think the, the the biggest thing where I think people fall down is having like a very tight process for fundraising because so many times you, you want to spend the time running the business. You don't want to spend time fundraising. But what's funny is taking the time running a, a really tight process on the fundraising actually will get you back to being back to the business quicker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, versus if, if it's like a side hustle raising money, then you, you'll find yourself raising money for years and it'll be coming in in trickles and trickles and you're just raising enough just to do a run. And it, it gets into like, um, you know, a, a broken cycle. And then you, so then you're, you're essentially never not fundraising, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. I think, I think right now we have about a dream 50 list, but we, there's definitely room for growth and we're about halfway through our round, but definitely trying to, keep it as aligned as possible with the folks that we bring on. So that way we can get back to operating our business sooner rather than later, because yeah. it's very time consuming. Yeah. And would you, would you consider this a pre-seed round or a seed round? I would consider it a pre-seed round. Okay. So, and uh, during a pre-seed round and, and for listeners that aren't um, familiar with the terms, it's just saying like, Hey, what stage is the business? So a pre-seed tends to be like after our friends and family or after bootstrapping, then you'll do a pre-seed where you'll get like some angels in. You probably don't have a lead big investor. You do the pre-seed that gets you to a seed round and then you get to a series A and it's just a process. It's really, you know, a sequential process and it tends to be larger raises uh, every time you do it. Um, one thing I would say is that I think for a pre-seed round, nothing wrong with raising from a very tight group of angels, um, mm-hmm. value added angels and just getting really a good group of angels who also are somewhat connected and, and can kind of set you up and then being very clear what metrics you have to hit to be able to have maybe like a formal seed round. I, I, I think that that would set, set you up well, but again, would happy, you know, you're, you're a free fellow. So, you know, uh, you'll, you'll have access to uh, me and the team and we'll be happy to kind of spend more time with you and, and kind of work through, um, you know, other things that we can do to help you kind of, uh, you know, fill out your round um, and meet the people you need to, to kind of raise that capital. Yeah, well, I'm very happy to be a part of the community. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm happy to be there. Just to let you know, I, I've been on the site. I think your Bonita hat, I am in love <laughs> with it. I am, I am heartbroken that it's sold out. So please, if we can get that back in the stock, I am a, a, a Maggie and the team will know that I, I, I wear a lot of hats, literally and figuratively. I, I, I love hats. So that Bonita one is one that I have to have in my collection. So 
please bring that back in stock because you, you have a, a oh, yeah, soon. <laughs> soon, soon, very soon. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us for the, for the live interview. It was wonderful. And everybody, you know, check out uh, agrobenito.com, visit it, you know, buy. I, I know right now you have two SKUs. Are any plans mm-hmm. on, ex- on expanding the SKUs? Yeah, so I would tell everyone, yeah, check us out at drinkagobonita.com, but following us on Instagram at drinkagobonita is the best way to stay up to date with us because we do have two new flavors that will be debuting very soon. So if you want to know what they are, want to try them out, that's the best way to get a hold of some. Okay, so please follow them. Visit the website, drinkagobonita.com, drinkagobonita.com. And, and uh, please follow them on social media. And then we'll, we'll definitely add that to the show notes. Yeah. yeah, everything will be included in the show notes for everyone to find. It was so nice to chat with you, Kayla. And I can't wait to see how the business grows. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was great meeting you both. Um, always nice to put faces to the names and, you know, do something outside of email for a little while. So Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. bye. Here at the Freed Fellowship, we are building a community of talented individuals ready to make theirs and others' business dreams come true. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next time as we interview another fellow team member. And until then, don't forget to free your mind, free your media. Free your media.